Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. see you. It really is. I, I, I genuinely like being at Radiant, and uh, it's, uh, it's just something of God's grace here, and every time I come, and of course, Patty, my wife, will be with us in the, the next service, but when we're here, we always come away. Uh, really, I feel like we come away, the folks that have been touched and filled, and so uh, thanks, and again, appreciate Travis and Tiffany and, and all of you. Uh, I, you know, get to step into your series uh, on the fundamentals and on the things not to forget. And, and, you know, thankfully for me, I get to to talk to you about something that's very, very important to me, and that's God's Word, the Scriptures. Uh, And I've spent a lot of my life teaching the Bible and, you know, get to teach it in college and seminary. And by the way, next weekend we'll step into... um, kind of a merger we're doing, which I haven't even talked to Travis about, a small kind of non-traditional church I've been leading for the last couple of years is coming together with a, a church that, the church I was at 25 years uh, in Manteca planted some years ago. We're bringing it together, and so uh, I'll step back into the Sunday morning routine. We've been kind of, the church I've been leading has been non-traditional meeting, not meeting on Sunday mornings, and all that say, uh, it's good to kind of get a warm-up before I have to speak there next week. So, uh. But, you know, I, some of you would have heard me tell the story, and, of course, many of you wouldn't have, but when I, I came to Christ, I, I uh, did this a part of the Jesus movement and back in the 70s, and I had been raised uh, without Christ in the home. I mean, if somebody would have asked us, were we a Christian home, I'm sure my parents would have said, yeah, we're Christians. But to be honest, I, I didn't ever encounter Jesus. And I would consider myself, you know, in many ways, thoroughly pagan when I encountered Christ uh, when I was 21 years uh, old. But I, uh, when that happened, I entered the world of the Bible. People told me to read the Bible. And I have to tell you, when I started reading the Bible, it was like, it was like entering a new world. Uh, because I, I don't know that I had ever read more than a couple of verses and maybe... I don't know that I remembered anything. It was just this new world. Uh, and it seemed strange to me in so many ways. Uh, I remember uh, thinking about, uh, you know, this, these words that were being used. It was like it was a new language, to be honest. And I felt a little bit like a foreigner <laughs> coming into this new world, this new land and and uh, I stayed with it, I'll have to say. Uh, you know, I kept, kept reading and trying to enter this world. And uh, as strange as it was, after time, after a season, I, I began to, to see that it was, a, it was an expansive land, if I could put it that way. That, that this new terrain I was exploring was opening a new way of seeing the world that I hadn't seen before. Uh, and, and I also found out that my life was, 
was being changed and being shaped in a, in a kind of way. The only way I could say it was subversive. I didn't even fully know what it was doing to me. But just reading it and opening myself to the things that were in it and trying to be open, my life was, was really changing. And you know why? Because this isn't just another book. This book is, it, it says of itself that it, its words were inspired by the Holy Spirit, that God himself, the creator, uh, inspired the words uh, of these 66 books that comprise our Bible. And I found out it was not just a, an antiquated piece of literature. It, it was a living text. That these words uh, were once penned, literally thousands of years ago, but they, that they still live and they still speak. And it's with that I'd like to ask you, if you would, to look with me at, at Psalm 19. Uh, I don't know, probably like many of you who have entered this new world of the Scripture, and uh, the Psalms have become such a home, such a, a, a comfortable place to be for me, and uh, I find myself in them. I, I think probably many of us do, these, these prayers. these. Uh, in fact, if you want to find a great way to be introduced to the land, the Psalms are a great place, because uh, you, you, know, you find the sort of the full gamut of uh, of what it is to be human. Uh, the Psalms, you know, we like to talk about the Psalms praising God, but one of the things I find comfort in is the Psalms whine a lot. And, uh, you know, I've had a spiritual gift of whining for a long time, so it's uh, nice to be able to exercise it through the Psalms. But, but there is this sense, too, of being able to encounter this world in which we, we understand what it is to really talk to God and to to be able to say what we feel and to express anger and to express pain and sorrow and, and joy and, as I said, all those different things. But uh, Psalm 19 has a special place, uh, I think, for, in my life. And C.S. Lewis uh, said that this was the, the greatest poem of the Psalter. Uh, and it is an amazing, it's an amazing, uh, uh, really, uh, lyrics, in fact, if you listen to it. It has this wonderful lyricism that comes through even in, like I'm going to be reading from NIV, but even in NIV, you know, you kind of pick up this really, this wonderful imagery and this sense, of, again, of cadence. But just let, let me read it. I want to read it all the way through, and then we'll come back and, and just look at it together. So uh, Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion. Like a champion rejoicing to run his course, it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. 
The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much, much gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. And by them is your servant warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. And keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. And then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Isn't that remarkable? Just, uh, just has its sense of beauty. You know the thing about this uh, psalm is there's really three things that, that, are, that, are, that are part of how it's made. You know, there's this first section, if you look at uh, verses uh, 1 through 6, that really have to do with, you know, the, who God is. And, and, and it's sort of this wordless uh, declaration of all that He is just through the creation. And then in, in verse... Verses uh, 7 through 11, it's focused now on on really God's word, God's clarity as he presents himself really in in the scriptures. By the way, when this was originally written, and I think it's it's really a Davidic uh, psalm. I mean, there there are 73 of the 150 psalms uh, are ascribed to David traditionally. And this one is very Davidic in spirit. and, And I think really is is one of those that we could, could see David, if I could kind of have you think about it. it. David writing this, these first six verses, being the shepherd boy, you know, tending those sheep, being out under the heavens. Can you imagine the way that would look? I mean, think a minute. I mean, no diffused light. I mean, there were no street lamps in Jerusalem and in, in Judea, you know, in Bethlehem. You know, there, 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 it was when that, that sun would set and on a moonless night. Can you, can you imagine what the heavens must have looked like? I don't know how many of you have uh, been able to be at a place, you know, when you're in the Sierra or uh, we have friends that live uh, in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and they live out north of, of the city of Jackson. And they have this amazing ranch, by the way. But uh, you can, you know, see... Uh, the stars in a way that I, I don't know that I've ever remember seeing them quite like that. I mean, it's just, it's, there's a brilliance of the heavens. I remember when I first came to California back as this you know, young whippersnapper and, uh, that, you know, the two-bit hippie deal. I was a two-bit hippie. And I came out here to, to, to the land of, of hippiedom to, to sort of experience California. And I went, I went up to, to Yosemite National Park and, and I'm not a Christian. I have no reference point to God. Uh, but I'll tell you something. When I was looking at, that, at Yosemite and these amazing granite walls and went up on Glacier Point and looked down 3,000 feet into the valley and these waterfalls, I, I remember thinking, God. Now, I didn't know who God was. But God. That's what David's describing. He's describing that 
there is something of a sense that there is more to this world than just what we see with our eyes. That the very creation itself, the very heavens, the very stars tell us. But how many of you realize that that's, that's verse 6 ends? We don't know who God is yet. That we need, we to, need to know who this God is that's creator. Because if you're left just with those six verses, there are a lot of people that end up worshiping the creation. But verse 7 begins to focus in now on this, this law of the Lord, these, these descriptors that are describing what, for David at the time, would have primarily been what we think of as Torah, Torah in Hebrew, the, the, those first five books. We don't know how many other uh, books of what we think of today as the Bible David would have actually known at this point. We know he would have known the, the Torah. But what else? We don't know. Maybe Job. Maybe he would have seen Job. There might have been a few other writings that would have been accessible to him. But when he makes these, these statements in 7 through 11, he's talking about those first five books of, uh, of the Old Testament, the First Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And, he, and these, are, these point us, Jesus himself said about those. He, he, when he challenged some of the, the leaders of his day on, on whether he was who he was claiming to be and they seemed to not be able to see it, he, he t- pointed them back and he, he talked about the law and the prophets, which was a way of summing up all of the Old Testament. And really, sometimes I prefer to think of it as the First Testament. Because it's still, you know, it's still part of our Bible. Do you all realize that? that oh, that's our Bible too. But he, uh, he tells them that they, they testify of him. They speak of who he is. We know who God is because of the scriptures. We know who God is because of his word. You know, these uh, verses, again, that begin in uh, verse 7. There's, there's several different words that are used to try to describe the nature of what Scripture is. And if you notice in, in verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, they, there's, a, there's a phrase used, the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the ordinances of the Lord. And then, then, then it's followed by this sense of something about the nature of it. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commands of the Lord are radiant. Fear of the Lord is pure. The ordinances of the Lord are sure. And then what's really, I think, important is this, this sense of, of what they do. It, you know, the, they, it revives the soul. It, it makes wise the simple. It gives joy to the heart. It gives light to the eyes. They, it, it endures. It's righteous. There's no question in my mind that Psalm 19 is in the mind of the Apostle Paul when he writes to his disciple Timothy. If you just kind of keep your place in Psalm 19, but go over with me to 2 Timothy. And, and, I, and you know, if you have a chance, turn you, with me. But if not, just listen. Because Paul writes his, his son in the faith. And he says uh, in verse 14, the third chapter of 2 Timothy, he says, but as for you, speaking to his son, he says, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those 
from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures. That's, that's including the, those words that David's writing about in Psalm 19, those, those words of God that are able, watch this, that are able to make you wise for salvation. Remember, Psalm 19 says that, that, that it makes wise the simple. It, it says for salvation, it makes wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says this amazing statement. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful and it's interesting that these words, which are in Greek here, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, have some of the same echoes of the words that are in Psalm 19. In fact, one of them in particular, it's translated correcting in NIV, but it's this idea of restoration, reviving the soul, having our lives made, made new and made right. And You know, I, I, uh, I think of how... God wants his word to function in our lives and, and how it, it, it really comes to, to help us. As I mentioned before, I first inter- started reading the scriptures and I entered this new world and I'm exploring this terrain. And, you know, I remember reading some of this stuff and I thought, What's, this isn't the world as I know it. But, but, you know, it says in Psalm 19 that it enlightens the eyes. How many of you know we need, we need a real take on the real world? And that's what I found I, I began to encounter through, through the scriptures is I began to get a read on the way things really were. And they were kind of opening up the fact that I had, I had really misread the world and the way things really were. And how many of you know that can be a confrontation? It's like it was... It was rearranging my life. I had kind of got my life in order, so to speak. It was actually disorder I came to find out. But I had sort of arranged my life and had certain values that I was living by, if you want to call them values. But this, this, this world was changing things. It was, it was again... Giving light to the eyes. You know, as it says in John's gospel, the the light shines into the darkness. And and I began to see. And some of those things I began to see were were pretty, pretty, pretty challenging to my life. You know, it's funny that I, you know, I, I, today I, I always, sometimes I'm not, I guess I'm not, shouldn't be embarrassed. I'm not really embarrassed about it, but and I always want to, you know, tell people, I, it was 42 years ago, but I was, a, I was a, a thief, a con. I mean, I, I played the people to get from people what I wanted. I mean, it wasn't beyond me. I mean, I, in, in, uh, when I came out to California, I had an aunt that gave me a job. And, I, and during that job, I stole $600 from her. God man, you know, here he is, God's man preaching, you know. The, but I stole this money from her, and I, I, you know, I knew how to work the system. I knew how, you know, you could, 
uh, sort of work people to get what you want, as I said. And then, then I encountered this world. And I began to, to, to have to reckon with myself. But here's the thing. I, re- I remember reading about this issue of making restitution. Now, I'm a couple years into my, my walk with the Lord, you know, and uh, I'm encountering going back and making things right. And I'm realizing, you see, I'm, I, we were into street witnessing back then, you know, going around preaching the gospel on the streets. And I, uh, I, I, we would sometimes do this down in San Francisco. And I owed a guy down in San Francisco $200 because I'd bought a car from him and never paid him. The car was $300, paid him the first 100 went over to where I was out in the Central Valley and said, so, my, so long to you, dude. You know, and there was no contract. The guy couldn't come after me. It was like, see, that's, that's what, remember, I talked to you, I had my world arranged. Well, my world, my old values were arranged as such. If he can't get to me, I don't have to pay him. That was that quote-unquote value. And then I encountered the new world. <laughs> and the new world said, you're going to be really a great witness for Christ if you happen to run a him on the street when you're telling people about Jesus. Maybe you ought to pay him the $200 you owe him. Now, that, that was... Uh, I, I was only making $435 a week, at the, I mean a week, I wish it was a week, a month at the time. And so here I, I was being asked by this, this world that was being open to me to go give this guy back. And then I, had, I, I realized I needed to tell my aunt I had stolen the money from her. Now I'll never forget that encounter. I went to her, her name was Verna. And I said, Aunt Verna, I stole $600 from you over a period of about six months, and I, I need to pay it back. She, and she called me Davy. She said, oh, Davy, you didn't. I said, yes, I did. She said, no, I don't believe it. And, I mean, I, I probably 10 minutes I tried to convince her I stole $600, and she would never accept it. So I said, okay, Verna, would you accept a $600 gift from me? And, 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 and she said, okay, I'll take the $600 gift. So... <laughs> But, but I, the way I had to do it, I had to pay $20 a month back to my aunt for like almost three years. How many of you realize that's confronting the new world that I told you about? That's new terrain. The idea of giving, oh man, here I'm paying back my debts. And I start finding in the scriptures things about giving of your resources. You know, if you sow Bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. If you sow sparingly, you'll sow sparingly. I thought, golly, you know, I'm... And people started talking about things like tithe and so on. And, you know, and I looked up tithe, it said 10%. And then I, I thought, I started doing the math. I'm paying back all these debts. And now I'm going to give four, $43.50 more a month. I mean, it was just, it was an interesting journey. It was an interesting journey. You know, I'd had the, you know, the whole issue of our sexuality and how we live that out in terms of purity. You know, the issue of, of how I worked. I, had, I hadn't kept one job now in, in my life that I hadn't been fired from before I became a Christian. <laughs> God's man of faith and power. Here I am. So, but, but I was learning. I, I, I was learning what David talks about here. Because it wasn't just about what I had done that was wrong. There was this opening up of something else. This opening up of a new identity. 
this opening up of a sense that my life had significance, that, that really I mattered, me. And that the measure of my worth wasn't what, what I, how much money I made, or it wasn't, you know, my status. It wasn't, you know, what I looked like. It wasn't how cool I, I had, I had majored on cool. And that cool wasn't the thing. I, I, listen, I started finding out who David Moore really was through, through reading and through encountering this sense of promise, this sense of destiny. I, I, I began to discover myself. You know, Jesus says you know, to Peter when he meets him in John chapter 1, you know, he says, you're Simon. You know, but you will be called Peter. You know, and then he starts his journey with Jesus, which is really, you have a journey with Jesus through the scriptures. It's part of what happens. We start encountering the, the living God through the, this text. And it, Because see, this, listen, this isn't what we worship. Do you all understand that? This isn't, this isn't the end. This points us to the one who inspired these pages. You know, because I know some people that I would almost call bibliolaters. It's really like, this is it. And they can quote the text and cut you up and leave you bleeding in the name of Jesus. It's not about putting people, you know, in their place. It's about encountering the God that opens himself to people so they can be who they were made to be. You know, as I encountered that, Peter, you know, I, I, I remember reading in Matthew 16. This was one of those things that just I saw. It didn't come from a commentary. It didn't come from, you know, anything other than reading one day. I was reading Matthew 16, and, and it's where, you know, Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And, and Peter, of course, says, you're the Christ, son of the living God. Jesus says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And, and he says, you are Peter. And I, and I, I remember it was like, is that statement, you were Peter, I thought, oh, that's it. As I, as I get to know who Jesus is, I'm going to discover who I really am. It's through, through knowing him that I know myself. And that's, that's part of this amazing journey we go on with with the scriptures. You know, it, it, we have these things, again, that the scriptures do, restoring our soul, making, you know, wise the simple, rejoicing the heart, giving light to the eyes, providing our lives a foundation of certainty and righteousness. Verse 10, they're more precious than gold, than much pure gold, sweeter than honey, from honey from the comb. And it says, listen, verse 11, by them your servant is warned. That word, you know, in some ways, I wish I could say it this way. By them your servant is admonished or instructed. It's, it's, it's what the scriptures do. They, they, they show us a way to walk. They, they provide a way for us to chart out and see the way forward. You know, some of you know the, the great, we, you know, Passage from Psalm 119, by the way, a wonderful passage about God's word. 
but it says, your word is a lamp, unto my, a, a, light, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And, it, and it's, it helps us see where to go and how to go forward. It provides a, a way to be able to see the ditch on the right, you know, and the cliff on the left. It warns us, and, and, and sometimes it really will adjust your life. It'll, because sometimes, I, I think in our culture, it's so easy to want the Bible to be something I just sort of pick and choose what I like. You know, I don't like that part, but I like this part. But see, that's not how it works. Because sometimes I need to realize, I may not think that ditch is all that deep until you step into it and you get your feet mired in the clay. You can't, you know, it's pretty tough to get out sometimes. The scriptures provide that way for us, that way to, to see what's, what's good, what's not good. I tell you, for me, you know, I teach theology, and I, I teach historical theology, church history, and, and one of the things that, that i found is I want, this, I want scripture to control my theology. And here's what I mean. It's really, uh, you know, when you teach systematic theology, you learn that there, there, we, we take the Scripture and we make the Scripture fit into our categories and in our doctrines, and there's a place for that. It's part of making sense of the Christian faith to people. But, but do you all realize that the way the Scriptures really are presented to us, they're not all that systematic. And, the, and you know, there are, there are times when I, I recognize that the Scripture actually provides kind of tension points between things that, that I'd like to, I'd like to get my doctrine set, doggone it, fit into my, you know, construct here. God, I want my, I want to have a tight theology. How many of you have had the scriptures confront your theology? And, and I mean by that, that there are times when I, I, I want to believe that this is absolutely the way it is, and then the scriptures will challenge me over here, and I have to live in the tension in between those two. And I mean by that, that if the text of scripture challenges me, I want to accept the challenge and let it, let it adjust me rather than me try to adjust it to fit. And I think that that's the challenge we all face as we live in this world and live in the tensions of a time in which really a lot of people would want to dismiss God's word. But what do we have? Where's an anchor? Where's something outside of ourself that can help us overcome this sometimes damnable subjectivity where I just want to interpret the world out of the lens of my own feelings and perspectives. I need something external to myself. You need something external to yourself. Something that can help us find the way. Whether it's practically, whether it's doctrinally, and however we go forward, I, I, I think of Paul's words again, that to continue in what we've learned and become convinced of. To know the scriptures that are able to make you wise unto salvation through Jesus Christ. Which are able to make us whole. Restore our, our brokenness, broken lives. To be able to give light so that we can see things the, real, the way they really are. You know, if I could just say this in closing before giving it back to Travis or, or whomever's going to close. But... 
Isaiah 40, verse 8. It's, it's just so deep. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time.